Welcome to another episode of the Real Talk on Women's Health podcast with Essentia Health. I'm joined once again by OBGYN, Dr. Brandt Brandt Griffith. I felt like one episode with you was not enough, so thank you for coming back. And we also have another special guest in the studio, Terry, who's going to be asking some questions related to menopause later on in the conversation. But before we get to that, I want to ask a question that I personally have. How long does menopause last? And is it something that we're going to be dealing with the rest of our lives once it happens to us? So it's definitely a transition of symptoms. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're in your 40s and you're starting to go through these perimenopausal symptoms, like we talked about on the last podcast, mood changes, hair loss, weight gain, hot flashes, night sweats, uh, brain fog. They're pretty severe in your 40s and into your 50s for some women, not for all. And it really depends on uh, your ethnic status as well. So we've done research that Asian women go through menopause quicker and have less of these symptoms than our African-American women. And hot flashes, which is the number one thing, uh, like we talked about before, that women come to me about, can last anywhere from five to 10 to sometimes longer than that. And so it can be, it can also be where you haven't had a hot flash for many, many years, and then all of a sudden have one, oh my gosh, am I having a hot flash? I'm in my 70s. This is crazy. So all of that can definitely happen. We definitely see as well, once the estrogen and progesterone basically go away, because your ovaries stop making those hormones. The reason we have those hormones is because the eggs in our ovaries make these hormones. So once the eggs are all gone, then our ovary stops making these hormones. So now all of these parts of our body that are responsive to estrogen slowly start, I wouldn't say getting worse, but changing. Um, So we see those hot flashes, night sweats, and then that starts to kind of go away. Insomnia seems to last quite some time for women. And then about two to three years after that menopausal end point, which we've talked about the average age in the United States is 52, um, you start getting the symptoms of vaginal dryness, difficulty with intercourse or sex because it gets more painful, it gets drier, the vagina gets tighter, and this is all due to lack of estrogen in the vagina. And so that's when I start to see my women that are five, 10 years out from menopause coming in and they're like, it's really difficult to have sex. Or because I'm the type of physician that asks those questions, when I see my 60 and 70 year olds, I ask them about their sexual health. Are you having sex? Is it painful? Do you orgasm? Do you, do you enjoy it? Is it not enjoyable? Um, and so when I do ask those questions, I get a lot of those responses where it's like, I haven't had sex in five years because it's so painful. And there's options out there. So this is when I start talking to them about that. But yeah, it's kind of a progression. That is very, very informative. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I do have a quick question for you. So I had a hysterectomy 10 years ago, kept my ovaries, clearly feel like I am well into menopause at this point, brain fog, hair weirdness, uh, very rarely sleep. And I'm wondering how does one or should one go on hormone replacement? So it depends on your age as well. So if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I am 52. So with being 52 
and we base it off of that's the average age of menopause, you would qualify for hormone replacement therapy. Now, we look at all your risk factors to make sure that you don't have major risk factors that would be a problem being on estrogen. Without a uterus, you don't need progesterone, which is a good thing. When we look at the studies, most women are concerned about going on hormone replacement therapy because of the increased risk of breast cancer. It's kind of been drilled into our brains that we're going to get breast cancer if I start this hormone replacement therapy. But if you look at the statistics behind it, being on estrogen alone actually decreases your risk of breast cancer. Being on estrogen plus progesterone increases it slightly. But if you look at other risk factors, a huge risk factor for breast cancer is body composition, alcohol use. And actually in this study, they looked at Finnish flight attendants, women who are flight attendants in Finland. I don't know if it's because they're close to where that radiation is in the universe, but they have a higher risk of breast cancer than women who are taking hormone replacement therapy. So yes, is there an increased risk? Slightly on estrogen and progesterone, but you have to look at benefits and risks and everything in life is benefits and risks. Now, if you were 62 and 10 years out from menopause and asked me about hormone replacement therapy, I'd say you pass the window because when women are 10 years away from seeing estrogen in their body, they can have increased risk of stroke, myocardial infarction or heart attacks, um, and really, uh, and blood clots. And so it's, it's not recommended at that point. Typically, once someone starts hormone replacement, how long does it typically take before they start seeing any changes? Like for instance, for me, it would be lack of insomnia or maybe less hot flashes or my hair won't be as crazy as I age. So when you start women on hormone replacement therapy, you want to start them on the lowest dose that helps their symptoms. Um, and so it might be a titration till we get to that point where you feel like you're getting some benefit. Now, full benefit comes in about eight to 12 weeks. And that's because your your body hasn't seen it for a while. It's, it's regulating it and it's building up that hormone in your bloodstream. So I, I don't think overnight you'll feel better, but I do have women who are like, oh my gosh, I feel so much better than I did last week. And oh, I feel so much better this week. And we just kind of reassess and uh, see where things are at. Now, am I ever going to make you feel like you're in your 20s again? No. That I, if, I, if I was that big of a genius, I wouldn't be a doctor right now. I'd be <laughs> having my own podcast about my uh, miracle drug. But yeah, it, you, it should start making you feel better. Now, some medications, as we know, don't work for everybody. So starting you on a certain type of estrogen or progesterone could uh, make you feel worse, make your moods more crazy, make your hot flashes worse, insomnia worse. So then we start that trial and error. Are there certain medications that have contraindications with hormones or is it just mostly like your own personal body chemistry that may or may not make it work well? Um, well, usually I like to start with a, a patch. A patch is a dermal. You absorb the estrogen through your skin and it goes directly into the bloodstream. That has the least risk when it comes to um, interacting with other medications. When you think about interaction with medications, the liver is what breaks down your medications. And so if you're taking something oral, it goes to the stomach and then gets broken down there and then has to go to the liver for processing. And so if you're taking other oral medications, that could definitely affect dosage, the effectiveness of other medications. And so I tend to not use oral unless we've tried others and that doesn't work. Also, oral can increase your risk of blood clots where the transdermal or on the skin, the patch can um, doesn't increase that. I have a question. I don't know if we've covered this yet, but hysterectomies, um, not to go off what you guys are saying, but like when would somebody need a hysterectomy? So typically when women come to me, 
and I would say the majority of my hysterectomies are done for women in their 40s. And that's because that's the most common time for irregular bleeding, painful bleeding, fibroids, which are little muscle tumors that bleed a lot or become painful or pressure or uh, affect urination. Also, um, increased risk of uterine abnormalities like cancer or leading up to cancer is usually happens in women's 40s. So typically, I give a spectrum of treatment options. You know, one is conservative management. You know, you can always just keep doing what you're doing if it's not bothersome to you. It's when it's affecting you and your quality of life that intervention is needed. Up from that is medication options. So we can go back to when you were in your teens and 20s. We can regulate with birth control pills. We can regulate with other medications that can help with bleeding. Up from that are minor surgical interventions. So if you have a fibroid or you have extra tissue inside the uterus, um, we can do minor surgeries just to remove that type of tissue. Uh, There's also another surgery called an ablation. And an ablation is where you basically microwave the inside of the uterus. I know that sounds That's an interesting term. Yes. Um, But it's a little device that goes inside the uterus, kind of sucks the uterine tissue against the device, and then cauterizes or burns a couple of millimeters into the uterine muscle, and thus preventing buildup of the endometrial tissue, which is what we shed every month. Um, So that can really help reduce the amount that you bleed. And then finally would be the hysterectomy. Now, it depends on what other things you have going on. If you have some very large fibroids that doing medication is probably not going to be beneficial for that, then we talk about that as well. And it really depends on how long you've struggled with it, what other symptoms. So I might be able to help the bleeding, but I can't help the pain that you might have during sex or some women can have pain with bowel movements. And so that will guide us to to what treatment option is the best. What is like the most common question you get asked for somebody that comes in that is going through menopause or has gone through it? What's like the most common Um, question that they ask? I would say that the most common is I feel like I am going to rip my husband and kids heads off. (laughs) What is going on with me? Why do I feel so crazy? I just feel like I'm not even me. And that's those hormonal changes. That's how the estrogen and progesterone are fluctuating in our body and affecting our brains and our moods and our stress level. Also in the 40s, this is the most stressful time for women. We're in our 40s. We're working full time. We have children that need to be driven all over God's green earth. And we have parents that are aging that we are now kind of responsible for too. And so we're, it's really, we're being pulled in all of these directions on top of going through these hormonal changes. And so this is the time, you know, if you haven't talked to your doctor about this, this is the time to talk about it because there are options available. One of the most effective options is getting a therapist, just going in and talking and getting validation that yes, this is really hard what you're doing. Is there any myths about menopause? that are out there that you have people coming in and asking you about as well? I have a lot of women who ask me about like the -the over-the-counter medications. NAMS, which is the North American Menopause Society, the website is menopause.org, has some great data about those over-the-counter medications. There is some validity behind black cohosh. You want to be careful taking these medications
medications and really talk to your doctor about them because certain risk factors for not being on estrogen can also be risk factors for not being on these over-the-counter medications. There's uh, a lot of, you know, you'll see all kinds of over-the-counter medications and herbs and teas. And each medication that we take has a 20 to 30% placebo rate. So if you think it's going to work, it's probably going to work for you. But usually after about three, four months, you feel like, oh, this isn't this isn't working so well. So I don't discourage people from trying it. But the other thing to think about with over-the-counter medications is nobody's regulating this. So they're made in a, a factory that may or may not have this the uh, standards like medications that we get from a pharmacy. Um, so you don't know if you're getting exactly what you're getting in your medication. You don't know if it's the dose that you're getting. Um, so I would just say definitely be careful with those types of medications. I think that's really helpful. Um, one of the things that I was looking at was Estrovin as I'm breezing through Costco. Um, and I was like, oh, I don't know. And it's the same thing with vitamins. You're like, does it work? Does it not work? Right. I think that's very valuable information. Thank you. The interesting thing about some of the over-the-counter estrogen, quote, estrogen replacements is that they're called phyoestrogens, which are estrogens from plant sources. Um, and these are like our soy products. So soy milk, tofu, edamame, and about 60 percent of women can process those phyoestrogens into some form of estrogen that can be effective in the body. We definitely see this more prominently in our Asian population, whether that's a genetic trait from, you know, their diet because they have a lot of soy products in their diet over their lifespan. And it's interesting when Asian women move from Asia and become, uh, move to the United States and start eating our Western diet and kind of the generations, they process that less and less as generations go on. But because there is this small amount of women that can process that, I think it's worth a try. Um, Like I said, just be cautious about which one you pick. I am not a expert on over-the-counter medications by any means. Uh, I have a lot of women who send me their like, oh, this is the list of medicines I'm on and these are the ingredients. Is this okay? And I'm like, I have no idea. You know, I I Google it just like you Google it. But, uh, you know, some of the sources out there, there is uh, labels on there called USP or NSF. And these are regulatory bodies for vitamins. Um, definitely better than nothing. Wonderful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I guess we can end with this. Um, is there like a patient and you have to be careful obviously from HIPAA but is there a time you've really helped somebody that felt like they were at rock bottom going through menopause and then through lifestyle changes and everything we've talked about they kind of turned a new leaf I guess well I can talk about myself yes absolutely (laughs) so as I mentioned on an earlier podcast I uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2019 and went through treatment for a year and after I came out from that treatment my body was completely destroyed um, and I was also in menopause and so so it took me a good two and a half years to finally find pieces to the puzzle that worked for me. And um, those pieces included, you know, I am on a low dose antidepressant to help with hot flashes. I take melatonin and magnesium at night to help with sleep. I take, you know, vitamins like vitamin D. And I also take turmeric because I was having quite a bit of joint pain. Um, and a lot of these were trial and error. Like I tried them. Yep. Do I feel better? I do. And then 
movement, you know, like we were talking about before. I get out and I move. Even if I am hurting that day or my my bones, I, I say sometimes I feel like an 80-year-old woman crawling out of bed because, you know, snap, crack, pop, everything, everything hurts. And so I do a lot of stretching. And I am at such a good place now versus when I was going through everything. I thought I was losing my mind. And my husband even nailed it on the head the other day. He said, gosh, you're so nice now. <laughs> I think we've all heard that a time or two from, you know, the men in our life. Yes. I was like, oh, those those antidepressants must be working for more than my hot flashes. Yeah. Well, I'm very glad to hear that um, you're feeling better. And Terry, do you have any other questions you want to end with? No, this has been very informative. Thank you so much. Yeah, I've learned a lot. Hopefully you'll come back for another episode. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.